Thank you for tuning in to the Career Exploration Podcast, brought to you by Northeast Ohio Medical University's College of Pharmacy. You're listening to the Career Exploration Podcast for future and current pharmacists. We're glad you're here, and we're looking forward to introducing you to some of the many career paths available for pharmacists. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Neomed Pharmacy Career Exploration Podcast. On this episode, we interview Dr. Travis Masick. Travis is a Neomed graduate from 2016. He was actually on the career path to become a critical care pharmacist when he decided to pursue a career in the pharmaceutical industry. Travis currently works as a medical science liaison. It was a lot of fun for me to catch up with Travis on this episode as he was my postgraduate year one resident when I was a residency director at St. Elizabeth Youngstown Hospital. I enjoyed learning about his career path and what his current career looks like. I hope you enjoy the conversation and learn a little bit more about what a career in the pharmaceutical industry may look like. Dr. Travis Masick is joining us today. Dr. Masick graduated from Northeast Ohio Medical University in 2016 before pursuing two years of residency training. He completed his first year or PGY-1 residency at St. Elizabeth's in Youngstown, Ohio, before moving to Raleigh, North Carolina to complete a PGY-2 in critical care at WakeMed Health and Hospitals. Upon completion of his PGY-2, Dr. Masick took a job as medical science liaison at AbbVie, focusing on the research and development of medications in the gastrointestinal space. Recently, Dr. Masick has taken a position as a senior medical science liaison in the hematologic malignancy space at AbbVie, which will grant him more exposure to pipeline medication development and launch support. Dr. Masick, thank you so much for joining us today. Of Welcome. It's good to me. see you. I haven't seen yeah, you in a while, it's so it's nice, nice to see you. Yes. So we did touch on your career path a little bit, your journey since graduating from Neomed in the introduction. But if you could, if you could tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are right now. I served as Travis's residency director in 2016, 2017, and I, I know this was not the career path that he told me that he was going to take. This was not, not what he thought he'd be doing. So I'm excited to hear this story. Yeah, it's um, it's definitely it seems like a very innocent question, but it's kind of complex uh, because I definitely uh, did not take the route that most people take to get into this position. And it's definitely not the route that I saw myself going. Um, even when I, when I was in school, even when I was in throughout my first year of residency, I, I never really, really expected it. But, you know, honestly, throughout all of my training and that's internship, schooling, residency, it it really taught me the things that I was looking for in a profession. Uh, and you know, those, a couple of those things that, that I really focused on and, and those things that really taught me were in pharmacy you really have to be knowledgeable about the nitty gritty details of guidelines of the clinical trials that go into making those guidelines so that you can make specific recommendations for physicians and, and for patient care. And I really loved getting into the weeds with that kind of thing. So that I, I really learned that during residency. I love the pharmacist provider interaction, uh, being able to make those, those recommendations to impact patient care directly to those physicians. And then the teaching component of it as well. I not even just typical classroom teaching, but when it comes to just the conveying knowledge to someone who is going to go and use that with patients in the future, the patients that they're going to be treating. So, you know, I kind of learned those things during my training and all of those kind of led me to pursuing, you know, residency. And, you know, for the, for two years after school, I went and did my, my first PGY-1 residency, which 
is a general hospital residency. And that's where, where Kristen was my, my program director. And then from there, actually, I, I thought that I was going to go pursue a critical care job. And so I went and, and did my second year of residency training in critical care. But really, when I was in that second year, I, I realized that even though you know those could encompass a lot of what I thought I was going to be looking for in a career, it didn't capture everything, right? So I, 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 I was doing a lot of, of self-reflection on what was missing, uh, what I felt was missing. And there was this kind of business component that I, I really liked. Uh, and I, I read a bunch of business books and it was an area that I really wanted to pursue, but I didn't feel like the traditional pharmacy route let me go down that path. Um, unless I wanted to go into, you know, maybe administration and become a, a pharmacy director, which I really didn't have any interest in doing. Um, and so, you know, all of those things, plus a series of, of kind of crazy circumstances and coincidences um, where I ran into people that were in these positions in industry led me to looking outside of that typical role. Um, and it really kind of landed me and, and propelled me towards that medical science liaison role. Um, and, and honestly, it, the pillars of that role are teaching, are communication, mastering the data, being you know true masters of, of those clinical trials that, that really influence those decisions from those providers. Um, but also you really need to understand the business of pharmaceutical industry to be in there and being an effective medical science liaison as well. Um, and so while I thought I was going down the right path initially, uh, you know, I kind of kept my mind open and, and I'm very happy I did because it landed me in a position where I feel like it encompassed all of those, those career goals that I wanted. So, so that's really interesting because I feel like this has been a common theme, right? Kristen, like, would you say that everyone has an idea of, okay, I'm going down this route. Here's where I'm going to end up. And then oop, curveball. Right, right. Exactly. I like how you explain that there are similarities, but there are also differences. And you were able to recognize that and you were able to reflect and recognize on what was missing. So yeah, it's very interesting how you got to where you are. Yeah. And it's funny because I don't know if I ever told you this, but my first ever, the, where I learned about the medical science liaison role the first time was actually on, uh, it was at residency in PGY1. And it was when one of the the reps, they came in and my, my office at the hospital at St. Elizabeth was, um, it in was the hallway outside. <laughs> Yeah. It was kind of in a hallway outside of the clinical specialist room. And so it just happened to be the place that the reps would set up like lunches. Um, and so, you know, I'd be in there working at my desk during lunchtime and they'd be, you know, by the food kind of talking to everyone as they came in. And one time they brought in the medical science liaison from the company and I was talking to her because she had mentioned that she's a pharmacist. And I was like, oh, that's kind of weird. Like, how did you get in this role? And, you know, in the back of my head, I was like, okay, you know, this definitely isn't going to be something I'm doing now, but I need to keep it in the back of my mind because it sounds really interesting. And then, you know, lo and behold, 18 months later, I'm a, I'm a MSL. Oh, that's funny. No, I, I don't think you've ever told me that story. I knew that there was, there was a decision that was being made at one point. You said you wanted to talk to me about something. And then we never touched base. We were both busy. And then you told me what you were doing. And I was like, that was the decision. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. That's it. So, so that's awesome. So again, keep an open mind. You never know where life is going to take you. Consider all of the options. And I think it's great that you kind of got to where you are today by doing that. 
Um, so I'm curious though, can you tell us uh, a little bit more about what does a typical day or a typical week look like as a medical science liaison? Yeah, I mean, I can try, but I, I will say that the typical day is atypical uh, for a medical science liaison. I mean, there's no every day is different, and you know, I know that a, a lot of a lot of jobs can say that, but it's 100% true for this role. Um, and, and then right now, it's a little bit different as well because of COVID. Um, so I'll kind of describe a little bit how it was pre-COVID, and then how COVID has kind of changed things um, for the MSL role. But, you know, a normal medical science liaison position is, you know, you're on the road for three or four days a week. And so it is a considered a remote job, typically from where the company that you work for is located. So my company is located in Chicago. I live in Raleigh, North Carolina, and I cover Raleigh, uh, excuse me, I cover North Carolina and Virginia, the entire states. And so, you know, my job is three or four days a week. I'm on the road seeing providers. Um, and that's in a one-on-one uh, scientific interaction capacity. That's in a group setting where I'm presenting data and um, discussing clinical trials, uh, discussing experiences with using the medications that I kind of cover within my therapeutic area, and just making sure that the people who are using the medications that I cover are very comfortable with not only the medications themselves, but with the data behind them. Uh, and so that's why they typically have PharmDs, MDs, PhDs in these roles, because you have to really have a good understanding and be able to kind of talk the talk um, scientifically uh, to these physicians who are who are using these medications. So, you know, three or four days a week that the is typically what we're doing out on the road doing that. Um, so it's a lot of multitasking and juggling these different responsibilities where we're uh, doing educational programs for a group of of nurses, perhaps uh, we're talking to a, gl- a group of clinical trial uh, um, participants, or we're talking to a group of investigators who are hoping to open trials at their site. And then, honestly, the you know, so that's three or four days a week. And then the other one or two days is a lot of administration administrative work. So it's logging everything that you've done for that week. It's logging all of those interactions. It's making plans for. Okay, I've I've touched these different different areas and institutions within my my geography within North Carolina and Virginia. What can I do next to help move the move the needle in terms of our medical objectives that we set at the beginning of the year? Um, and so, you know, really the the kind of top three activities that we do, I would say, would be you know one on one scientific interactions. Two would be those educational programs, and then three would be the administrative work. Um, and so those, you know, those are really what kind of encompass the, the day to day. So that's interesting because I didn't even, because I didn't realize I didn't know, but you actually have direct communication with patients as well. Right. So you mentioned talking to patients in clinical trials, letting them know kind of like what they could expect, uh, and things like that. I, I guess I didn't, I never realized that that was part of the job. Yeah, I didn't either. Yeah. It's kind of new. So it's, when you work at a large pharmaceutical, uh, in large pharma, they call it, or a large pharmaceutical company, um, we're kind of exploring the different avenues that we can take and how we can expand this MSL role. And one of those is by having direct patient communication, which typically hasn't been done in the past. It's usually been exclusively with providers, uh, but now we're actually able to, in very certain, uh, certain circumstances and with very um, limited amounts of information. You know, we can't go in there and saying it, it's very regulated what we can say, what we can't say. 
Um, typically, it's it's disease state education only. Um, but it's really cool to be be able to now to get out in front of patients and and be able to talk to them face to face and be able to address the questions that they have as well. Your office is in your house, then. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So my office is in my house, um, and typically, you know, that's where. Right now, I mean, it's it's five days a week that I'm in there typically because in the space that I'm I'm in, physicians aren't as open to going back mm-hmm. to live engagements because these patients are immunocompromised. They um, they get re- they get sick really easy because they they can't build up that immune system um, because of the types of blood cancers that they have. Um, so the physicians are still kind of like, yep, we're being extra cautious. We're not having any any visitors come in, and so. Yeah, now five days a week, I'm I'm pretty much doing Zoom meetings. I'm I'm trying to carry on those same activities that I discussed earlier, uh, but in a virtual setting, which is you know has its pros and cons, I guess. Yeah, definitely. And Travis was a real, and probably still is a real people person, from what I remember. So he he enjoyed interacting with others. So is that hard for you to be mostly at home? Is that difficult at times, or is the Zoom maybe the Zoom's enough that it kind of gives you the opportunity to interact with the others? Yeah, it's hard. It, I'm, I'm not even going to sugarcoat it. The other day, I um, because my my wife goes to work, and you know, so she she works long hours at the hospital, and uh, I had two days where I basically realized that I didn't go outside of my house, and so it was like 7:30 at night, and I'm like, I just need to go out, and I all I did was go to Home Depot and just walk around because I just needed some kind of sense of being in a public space and interacting with with normal people. Um, and I didn't even need anything, but I'm like, I got to go see other human beings aside from, you know, my two dogs that I've, I've stared at for the last two days. Oh, that's funny. But as you said, that's not normal. So that will improve as the pandemic improves and people are out and about a little bit more restrictions are lifted. Yeah, I hope so. Um, there's, there's kind of a general sense that it's going to convert back to more of a hybrid model. Um, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of, like I said, there's pros and cons to this kind of virtual world. Um, you don't have nearly as much travel. Things can get done quicker in certain instances, but definitely the connection, the personal connection that you can build is not there. And mm-hmm. I think that's a huge, huge component of this role because you have to build rapport. You have to build trust um, with a lot of these, they're called key opinion leaders um, in the spaces that you're covering um, to you know really be able to, to generate and draw those key insights that help us to you know, mold the next clinical trials and see what type of data that we need to be pursuing um, in some of the trials that we're developing. Yeah. And, and I feel like you're absolutely right. There's definitely a difference. I mean, just thinking about our own experiences, there's a difference between, you know, when you get a phone call or an email from someone that's just a name versus here's this real life human being in front of me, a name and a face and everything that kind of goes with it. It just makes more of a connection. So so that that really is a great point that you bring up about, you know, someone in an MSL role like yourself, uh, you know, you have to be comfortable with talking to people in person, uh, not just virtually. You had mentioned the initial interaction, and I think you used the term drug rep. So drug representative. So I wondered for our listeners, it would be really helpful if maybe you explained the different roles in the pharmaceutical industry that a pharmacist could play, the different opportunities that are there. There are those drug representatives. There's the medical science liaison position, such as yourself. I'm sure there's probably opportunities in research development. If you could kind of tell our listeners a little bit about those those roles. Yeah. So at a high level, the the easiest way to kind of break it down, and there's a ton of opportunities. Um, and I'm I'm not going to pretend like I know them all. Even being involved in industry for three years, 
I'm still learning of, of all these different opportunities that you can go and, and, and do as a pharmacist in the industry. But really the, the kind of high level simplistic way to look at it is commercial versus medical. So when you're thinking about commercial, that's when you are thinking about positions like sales representatives, uh, marketing in certain instances, uh, medication educators. So typically these, the, the folks in these roles are going out, they're educating on the product. They are, it's, it's exclusively product specific. It's exclusively what we call label specific. So, you know, the FDA approves a medication and approves everything that goes onto that medication's label. And so all of that as public knowledge, all of that has been rigorously tested and analyzed by the FDA. Um, and so those are things that the drug re representatives can speak to, can educate on. But the big thing and the big difference here is they get reimbursed on sales and they get commission. Um, but there's, you know, obviously there's still a lot of regulations in place, but they're part of their compensation is directly tied to the number of units of drugs sold. On the medical side of the company, it is completely separated from that. Um, there's still uh, performance-based compensation, but it's never based on actual units of drugs sold. We're, we're not going out trying to, you know, quote, pedal product or, you know, get people to prescribe more or anything like that. We're going out to educate so that these providers feel comfortable with using the product, are comfortable with the data, and are informed of all of the most recent data that's come out about any given product. And so on the medical side, you know, you have your medical science liaison, which is what my role is and kind of how I described it earlier. But you also have things like medical information. So um, it's called GMI or global medical information. And a lot of times on if you're looking at like a drug commercial uh, that, that comes on the, on the TV or on the radio, they have a number that you can call um, if you have any questions. And those questions typically get routed to medical information. But also any questions from physicians that come in will get, uh, get routed to those folks. There's research-specific roles. Um, there's scientific and medical directors. There's scientific communications directors who will Basically, their job is to create resources for the folks in the field, like myself, to go out and more effectively communicate the, the data. Um, so there's a lot, a lot of opportunities between them. And, and typically, you know, in those two distinctions, medical and commercial, they build this firewall between us because of the sensitivity of being in industry and making sure that we are the unbiased source that the physicians and the providers can trust. Because, you know, if, if we're coming in here and we're, we're claiming to be unbiased and, you know, we're just talking about how great the drug is and you find out that we're, you know, reimbursed on how much, uh, how much product they write for, they're never going to trust us. And, and that's not the, the purpose of our position. So that's kind of a, a, the way that I would describe it and differentiate it out. But um, I'd be happy to, to elaborate further on any parts of that. Thank you. That, that was great. Just putting the jobs into the two different buckets, the two different categories was very helpful to me. I never thought of it that way, but that's, yeah, there are a lot of opportunities too. You mentioned a lot of jobs that I didn't even know existed. So lots of opportunities for the prospective and the current students. Absolutely. Yeah. And so that, it sounds like a lot of education. So a lot of, a lot of kind of research, right? So you got to make sure that you know what you're talking about. And then also a lot of education that comes with it. So uh, again, we had a previous guest uh, once tell us that pharmacists dispense knowledge. 
And uh, that that stuck with me and I'm going to keep using it. He uses uh, this every episode. Yes, he, that's I okay, do. though. That's okay. I, I like it too. I like it. Yes. So again, another example of pharmacists dispensing knowledge, not product. And so I, I love it. I think it's awesome. Absolutely. I uh, So a lot of people will get confused and... I mean, like 50% of what I have to tell people when I tell them what I do is differentiating myself from a sales representative. Um, And so I say that they sell drugs and we sell knowledge. (laughs) So that's how, uh, that's how I describe it. Excellent. Perfectly worded. Um, So, so kind of going off of that, what would you say are some of the biggest rewards or advantages of being a medical science liaison? Yeah. So I, um, when you think about being a medical science liaison versus maybe a traditional pharmacist role, I think the biggest differentiator for me and the biggest reward for me is kind of being able to approach impacting patient care on a more macro level. And so when you're in a pharmacy or when you're in a hospital, oftentimes you're one-on-one impacting a certain patient's care. And as a medical science liaison, I kind of take a step back and I'm, I'm being involved in trials that are uh, impacting an entire area of of patients that have a disease state, um, which could you know potentially go on to be the next um, the next medication that impacts overall survival for a certain hematologic malignancy. And so when you take a step back, it's it's really looking at it at more of a macro level when you're impacting patient care versus that you know one on one micro level, if you will. So to me, that that honestly is the biggest reward in terms of the biggest challenge. Uh, this is still something that I'm, I struggle with a little bit is there's, there's really no one to tell you what to do. Uh, and you're, they, you know, they, they, they call you sometimes the chief scientific officer of your own territory. Uh, and so, you know, basically what that means is they, you have these medical objectives, you have these, these things that you talk about as a company, you know, at the beginning of each year. And then they basically say like, all right, here's the keys to your territory. Uh, go, go f- fulfill these in any way that you see fit. Uh, and, and for the most part, it's hands off from that point. I mean, you have regular touch-ins with uh, touch points with your team and with your manager and everything, but there's no one holding your hand on a daily basis saying, you know, these are your tasks and, and these are what you should do. So a lot of it is taking a step back and, and being able to strategically look at, okay, I need to make an impact. How am I going to make an impact? And looking at creative solutions and creative ways that, you know, maybe people haven't thought about before. Um, but there's, there's never, you're never going to leave your desk at the end of the day, um, fully knowing, okay, my work is done because I've, you know, filled all of the prescriptions or I've done all the consults or anything like that. So it was a big change for me going from a traditional hospital pharmacist role where it really is kind of like that where, you know, you have your set roles and responsibilities each day, and then you can, for the most part, kind of hang it up at the end of the day and and go home. Um, So that's definitely been the biggest challenge for me thus far. That can be difficult. When do you shut it off? Especially if you're working from home, I have the same problem. I think a lot of people have the same problem right now that people are working from home with, with COVID, but yeah. So so then this kind of leads in pretty good to the next question I think is, is what needs to happen at the end of the day for you to say, wow, that was a great day. I had a really good day. Cause most people think of it in terms of what you mentioned before, you know, they filled so many prescriptions or they prevented a medication error in the hospital, but for your role, what, what needs to happen for you to say, yeah, that was a good day. Yeah. So I, I think that it, it depends. Um, I think that it can be frustrating at times because you, 
you know, there are a lot of times with that administrative part of the job where, you know, maybe your a lot of your emails are getting ignored. Maybe you're not able to book as many appointments um, or, or meetings. And so it can be very frustrating, but, but to me at the end of the day, and, and the part that really kind of invigorates me and, and keeps me going forward is when I have those really good, high quality scientific exchanges with a, a care provider. And you kind of, it, it kind of goes back to that teaching. And I said, I really, I really love teaching. I really wanted that to be a part of my job. And one of my favorite parts about teaching is seeing that light bulb moment when you're, whether you're teaching a student, whether you're teaching a resident, a a physician, seeing that light bulb moment, getting them to understand, oh, okay, now I'm very comfortable with the data. I'm very comfortable with how to use, uh, you know, this product and having those types of interactions and knowing that those physicians or those care providers are going to go forward and, and use that information and use that knowledge on numerous patients in the future that they're, they're going to be treating. And you know that now they're going to be doing it comfortably and doing it correctly. That's what is the most rewarding for me and kind of keeps, keeps me coming back and, and invigorating me. Yeah. That one interaction with a physician could impact tons of patients. You know, if the information that you're providing is being used to help patient care. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so Travis, I'm sure we have a lot of prospective students. Maybe they're in high school, maybe they're an undergrad, uh, some current students listening in as well. And they're like, oh, okay, this is a, a new, unique, interesting area of a pharmacy that I never really considered. Um, so kind of what uh, would you tell them to be doing now um, to kind of prepare for a career as a medical science liaison? Yeah. So, you know, really there's, there's two, and, and I'll be the first to say my, my path into this role is not the path that most people take. Um, there was a very high degree of luck that I needed to have to apply to the job that I applied to at the time that I did. Um, and so, so I will, I will explain the traditional paths that most people take to get into this role. And really there's kind of two, two main paths you can take. There's the fellowship or um, getting a kind of specialized clinical practice experience. And so with a fellowship, obviously I didn't do one. So I don't have firsthand knowledge of fellowships um, in, in having participated in one myself. But I know that in most companies, they offer fellowships that are very similar to what would be a pharmacy residency, where in a residency, you're going into the hospital, you're going through various rotations, you know, you're getting experience in um, ambulatory care, maybe a diabetes clinic or a, or a Coumadin clinic and getting all these different various experience so that you can, you know, build up all of those combination of different experiences to have a holistic, uh, you know, better understanding of the pharmacy practice in a hospital in a fellowship, uh, and, and specifically we'll say a medical affairs fellowship in industry, which is where the medical science liaison falls under it would be a year long process during that fellowship where you go in and you rotate on a typically a month to month basis, but kind of, it can be, you know, it can vary from company to company and you might be shadowing MSLs for a month, or you might be in global medical information. Like I talked about earlier, because often those medical information uh, uh, folks will help to support the medical science liaisons and are an integral part of medical affairs. So it's, it's very similar in that sense that you're just trying to get a holistic experience of what pharmaceutical industry looks like in the medical affairs department. And then the other route you can take is really just getting as much experience as you can in certain specialties within pharmacy. I would say that's probably the, the easiest way to go. 
um, would be whether that's oncology, whether that's diabetes, whether that's immunology. So it can involve doing a residency. It can involve doing two years residency, um, depending on which specialty you want to go into. But but most often the the pharmacists or the physicians that go into industry after pursuing clinical practice, they have very intimate knowledge of that disease space that they're applying to the job in because they've practiced it for so long. And because of that, it, it makes it almost an easy hire because you know this person knows exactly what they're talking about. They have great, uh, they have great clinical experience. They they know the the trials and tribulations of a practitioner who's, you know, maybe using the products in this space. And so oftentimes those are the candidates who are applying for the job that get priority over someone who maybe doesn't have any experience in a, in a particular space. So those are typically the two routes that you can take. Uh, but I will definitely say that no matter which route you take, it's, it's going to involve some degree of luck as well. Uh, because there's on, only a certain number of positions and you really have to be applying to the right position at the right time and into the right company who's looking for the type of experience that you have, whether that be a fellowship or that clinical experience. Because you know, sometimes depending on where a drug is in its life cycle, if it hasn't been brought to market yet, or if it's maybe been on the market for five years and you're just really reinforcing that education, you could be looking for someone who went a very specific route to, to kind of fill that role most adequately. So there's definitely a large deg a degree of luck that goes into it as well. I like the quote, luck is where preparation meets opportunity. Absolutely. Right. You have to be well-prepared and there has to be an opportunity and it's competitive. So yeah. continuing to follow the trends and, and keeping up with what's happening as well. Yeah. And, and I know that there's people, qualified people. Um, in fact, we just hired someone onto our team who she's been in clinical practice for uh, four or five years now. And she said she's been applying for two to three years uh, to positions that have been open. And it just you know happened to be that the right one rolled along when, when our company was looking for someone with ex her exact skill set um, that it happened to work out. But it can, it can take a long time. Wow. Yeah. It sounds like it can. If we have students that, that think this sounds interesting and, and they'd like to pursue this, when you think of students that would do well in this career path, could you tell us a little bit about maybe what students, what students you think would really enjoy this? And maybe if you have some students that maybe wouldn't enjoy this so much, you could talk about that as well. Yeah. So I think it's going to, my answer to this will fit in line with some of the things that we've already talked about. Uh, you really have to be a good communicator. You have to have attention to detail uh, with, you know, understanding again, the, the nitty gritty details of a lot of these clinical trials and conveying that complex information down to a, a simple level. So you have to be, you have to be a good communicator. You have to have attention to detail, a love for science. I mean, you have to, you really have to enjoy what you're learning about because you're going to be immersed in it for every day. Um, you're, you're no longer going to be perhaps practicing in, you know, a general setting where you're seeing all kinds of stuff, you, you know, you can keep up with stuff and um, uh, in a more general sense, you're immersed in one particular area for however long that you have that position for. So you have to have a love for it. Um, intrinsic curiosity, seeking out different knowledge, different material that could um, help to convey that information better. And, um, and also thinking outside the box. So uh, it, it goes back to that, 
no one's going to hold your hand. No one's going to tell you exactly what to do in this role. And sometimes you have to get creative with how you're going to convey that information, the types of providers that you're going to be reaching out to. Um, so, so those types of people, those qualities, I think would uh, really fit well into this MSL role. And then someone who would not do well is, uh, I think the easy answer is, is someone who's not self-motivated. Uh, you're, it's on you to accomplish those goals. And honestly, you can probably get away with it for a while with, you know, not really doing, uh, you know, not accomplishing those goals or, or not really making progress towards, towards those goals. But at the end of the year, it's really going to show. And so if you're not making that incremental improvement throughout the entire year, you don't have that self-motivation to really be uh, dedicated and strict to, you know, I need to dedicate X amount of time per day doing, you know, outreach that I don't like to do or, or whatever. It's going to be really difficult for that type of person to find success in a role that requires so much self-motivation. And I, I feel like that's kind of been a theme for, for some of the different roles that we've kind of had on here. And you know, kind of as Kristen, as, as we kind of mentioned before, some of that could be, uh, I mean, just kind of a transition process, right? So going from student where, okay, I have class from this time to this time and everything is structured and everything is scheduled for you to kind of, hey, you're on your own, right? That could be a difficult transition um, to, to do. But I think once you kind of get that down, I think it's, it's very well worth it. Um, and it just kind of provides a, a unique experience for you. So um, and, and Travis, how was that transition kind of for you, right? From student to, you know, a practitioner or kind of like a, in the medical science liaison field, having all that sort of autonomy. Yeah, I think it was, it, even though it, it, I didn't really take a, a, a direct route that, that most people take, I think that my experiences did lead me into being a successful medical science liaison because as you transition from student to resident, you do get a lot more autonomy. Uh, you do have to have more self-motivation to um, stay on top of all your projects that you're going to have for the year and, and, and make sure that, you know, while you have this, this giant research project that's due at the end of the year, you're making incremental improvements and, and progress on that, uh, that research progress throughout the year. So I think it was a really good residency was really good for me to start to develop those skills. And then really most importantly, I think with residency is it taught me that critical thinking piece and honestly, just how to think. Uh, it sounds kind of silly and, and very abstract, but I, I honestly think that, that that's really what prepared me best for that during residency because um, that is so much of what residency is designed to teach you how to do in that hospital setting. But those skills are translatable to other roles probably helps you to anticipate the questions that your providers are going to need the answers to, right? You're, you're almost able to think a couple steps ahead and what their practice setting might look like and what kind of questions they may have now, or maybe the questions they don't even know they have yet, that they're going to have you know, a couple months from now. Absolutely. And, and asking the right questions as well, because uh, you know, a big part, part of this role, you know, obviously we're out there to educate, but another big part of this role is to bring insights back into the company what are the physicians thinking about this? You know, we, we know how we uh, feel about the data that we put out about the clinical trials, but how does the medical community at large feel about it? And so being able to anticipate knowing, you know, being in those clinical practitioner shoes, knowing some of the challenges that might come up and being able to ask those questions to generate those insights is, uh, is a very big part of it as well. 
And and when you kind of mentioned residency, I'm sure you meant your PGY2 residency, not the PGY1 residency, right? Because, you know, <laughs> I, I heard your program director for the PGY1 was not so great. It's so mean. It's so mean right now. Why did you have to take it there? I had a fantastic experience in my PGY1. <laughs> She's awesome. And she is a great uh, office mate to have as well. And she will tell you that uh, she probably won't say the same about me because I'm super loud. And Maybe. she's like, can, can you Maybe. just keep it down? <laughs> I got to think about it a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my anyway, office mate, uh, my office mates are my, uh, my two dogs. So they, uh, they don't keep it down very much either, though, especially when the mailman comes. It's <laughs> <laughs> funny. <laughs> so Travis, how do you see the role of a pharmacist in the pharmaceutical industry? Uh, would that be a medical science liaison or, or another role? How do you see that growing or changing uh, over time? Yeah, I think right now the, the biggest change that I see, and I don't think it's necessarily unique to kind of the pharmacist role, but it's it's shifting towards this, you know, COVID is causing a lot of industries to shift and um, it's it's not unique. Uh, it's It's not avoiding the pharmaceutical industry as well. We're having to shift to that you know, really that in-person, uh, prioritizing in-person interactions, that face-to-face interaction with, you know, really learning how to manage in a virtual world and, and be effective communicators in a virtual world as well. Um, so, you know, that's, that's really a big part of it now. But I think in terms of pharmacists specifically, you know, as the years go by and, and, and increased exposure into these opportunities within industry starts to become more widespread and, and, Pharmacy, uh, pharmacy schools start to open up some of these opportunities to students. I think it's just going to elevate the role that pharmacists can play within pharmaceutical industry as a whole. And I think it's really going to, to increase the exposure to what pharmacists can do uh, and how effective pharmacists can be in these various types of roles. Yeah. And I mean, you kind of already touched on it a little bit earlier, you know, you mentioned before medical science liaisons really just communicated with providers, right. And, and, and prescribers. And, and now, you know, you guys are going out and you're educating patients, right. Patients who are enrolled in clinical trials and, and things like that. So you could already see that it, it's growing and it's changing already. And I'm sure it's just going to grow even more from there. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah. So, so my final question, uh, being a fellow walking whale myself, uh, and graduating from Neomed, uh, just like you did, uh, is how do you feel Neomed has prepared you, uh, for, for practice and, and for a career as a medical science liaison? So I think really what it boils down to is the experiences that you get from Neomed being in Northeast Ohio, you have some amazing opportunities at some, uh, amazing hospitals and clinics in the area. Um, but you know, not only that, I was able to, to do a community pharmacy internship and an ambulatory care internship, a, uh, emergency medicine internship all throughout school and all giving me very different experiences that really allowed me to understand the different aspects of my career that I was interested in pursuing further and, and what I wanted to, uh, what I wanted to do, you know, with the rest of my life. I know this might sound crazy, especially to maybe current students who are there, but the, the Wasson Center, I think, is a, a big differentiator as well. And for, for those who don't know, um, the Wasson Center is basically a fake doctor's office within the uh, pharmacy and medical school where they have patient actors come in and they give them a script and, and basically tell them uh, to you know, act a certain way, whether they you know, have some type of 
uh, condition they're coming into an ambulatory care pharmacy for, or maybe they're approaching your community pharmacy and you're kind of role playing as that pharmacist to try to help them uh, with their issue. And again, it boils down to that critical thinking skill. And I think the Wasson Center and practicing those skills in that real world scenario develops those skills unlike any type of didactic book learning can do. Um, so honestly, I, at the time, I probably wouldn't have told you I appreciated it because it's, it's kind of a nerve wracking experience, but um, it is definitely something that I think helped me immensely in my communication with patients. Um, and then of course, being with the medical students and, and learning with them side by side, you know, those are going to be, if you go into a hospital setting or even in a community setting, when you're, when you're calling those physicians, perhaps on a, um, some type of concern that you, you may have seen with a patient that brought in a prescription, those are the colleagues you're going to be communicating with your entire career. And so being able to sit side by side with them, being able to learn with them uh, in the same classroom, I think is really beneficial as well. Yeah, it's incredibly important. And believe it or not, we've added a lot more of those assessments to the curriculum. And we're even there when you were you were at Neomed. So we have a lot of opportunities to practice communication, decision making, written communication, verbal communication, lots of lots of opportunities for that. Right. So. And you're absolutely right. Students uh, get so nervous right before they enter the Watson. Mm-hmm. But yep. it's it's great to hear, you know, someone say, and I think a lot of uh, alumni would say this too, looking back on it, Yes, it was so nerve wracking and I hated doing it, but oh my God, did it help prepare me for life as a pharmacist? Absolutely. Yeah. You, you never know what's going to come your way. Uh, and, and so being in that situation, and there's definitely some uh, Wasson actors and actresses who take it a lot more seriously than others and kind of throw you some curveballs, And that's just the real world. So it really helps you to, to kind of prepare for that, uh, those types of scenarios. I've always been impressed with the actors and they're doing things by zoom as well now with COVID and, oh, and very not cool. skipping a beat. They're just, they're doing a, a fabulous job. Yeah. It's been quite impressive to watch that. Oh, uh, that's funny. And even more realistic because they're in their own homes. So that's kind of fun too. Maybe I'll come back one day and I'll be a Watson actor. That'd be fun. That would be, you'd probably be a difficult patient, right? You'd make Absolutely. it super difficult. Yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't take I'd it easy. Stuff up. I'd go off script. I'd make stuff up. <laughs> So the the very final question that I have is that because this is a career exploration podcast, I like to ask all the guests, what's your best career advice or exploration tip that you have for the listeners out there? I think that one of the most important things is even if you think you know what you want to do with your career, whether that you're a prospective student or you're a current student, approach your schooling and your training as if you don't know what you want to do. Um, get as many experiences as you can, because I think I'm a perfect example of of someone who thought they knew what they wanted to do. I was kind of doing everything in my power to to go down this one particular path, um, but I I did keep my options open. I kept getting different experiences. I kept talking to different people, and at the end of the day, I I didn't end up doing what I thought I was going to do for for probably the the last three or four years of my training, and. I am incredibly happy that I made the decision that I made. Uh, but if I would have just kept going down that path, then I think I would have... Um, the question, what if, would have come up. And, and uh, I think that if I didn't do those, those... If I didn't explore and get outside of my comfort zone and explore those other opportunities um, that you know internships and residencies showed me, I never would have 
known the career path that I wanted to take. And so I, I would just say that, you know, don't, don't try to pigeonhole yourself too early, get as many experiences as you can, uh, because you really never know what's going to stick. Yeah. Right. That's great. Great advice. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say that's awesome advice. And, you know, I think, uh, another great piece of advice to kind of tell the students, which, which we always tell them all the time is, uh, you know, prepare yourself early on for, for everything possible. Right. So, so we might have students who maybe, um, you know, think, Oh, I'm never going to do a residency. It's not for me. And then they don't really do much in, in their P1 year, P2 year. Right. And, and then P4 year comes like, Oh boy, I want to do a residency. Well, residencies are, are pretty competitive. And so let's take a look at your CV here and see what you've done over the last four years. Oh, well, you haven't really done too much. So, um, go ahead and apply, but it, it might be a little harder to get a residency. So definitely prepare yourself, uh, for, for any possibility. Right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Excellent. Well, Dr. Masick, always a pleasure catching up with you. Thank you so much for taking the time to meet with us. Uh, I, I know I definitely learned about a whole new area of pharmacy that, you know, I kind of knew existed, but I didn't really know, you know, I kind of equated it with kind of like a sales rep sort of thing. And, and now I learned that that's not so much the case. Yeah, I, I learned a lot. I like the way you explained it. I'll be using some of that with the students. <laughs> It'll be helpful to explain it to the students the way you explained it to us. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I, I think that it's um, like I said, a lot of my job is kind of explain or when when my family and my friends ask, it's explaining those differences. And so um, I really appreciate the opportunity to come on and into this forum and be able to explain that to to those listening. Awesome. Excellent. Always a pleasure having you. Always a pleasure talking to you. Uh, and hopefully we'll kind of see each other soon again as well. Yes, definitely. Thank, Thank you. you.